Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, STS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime. And today you're in for a very special treat. You may have figured it out. No, I did not find my studio key, but I went and got another one. And that's how I got in here. And on the way out, got stuck in the elevator. And that is never a good thing for a claustrophobic Jewish guy from New Jersey. And I was in there with an equally claustrophobic middle-aged woman who did not speak a lick of English. So that was a fun experience. Uh, enough about me. <laughs> On to the uh, topic of the show. Of course, we have been covering nonstop the Charlie Adelson trial. He is the wealthy South Florida periodontist who managed to elude justice for nine plus years. He was accused of masterminding the 2014 killing of Florida State law professor Dan Markell, his ex-brother-in-law. And he was, in fact, convicted Monday on all counts in Dan Markell's murder. Finally, justice for the Dan Markell family. Of course, that is Ruth, Phil, and Shelly, who I've become close with and wish them only the best. Charlie's sentencing is set for December 12th, where he's expected to be sent to state prison for the rest of his natural life. State prison for the rest of his natural life. Tonight, we've got a couple of, uh, well, Tommy, I know, is a former inmate. I actually don't know about Tom. We're about to ask him that. And Monica Jordan is a private investigator out of Tallahassee and uh, works with uh, she's worked with death row clients, but a lot of uh, defendants. She works on the defense side of things and knows all the ins and outs of the prison system, both state and federal. Larry Levine, a character, is set to join. I have not seen him or heard from him since uh getting an RSVP from him. So maybe he'll hop on. We'll see. It could be because I texted him and told him to limit the expletives. I'm not sure. So uh, not sure why. But guess number one, <laughs> the man in the hat with what appears to be Puerto Rican boxing gloves, already a sign that he could annihilate you, is Antonio Fernandez. He's also known as King Tone. That's... That's Tone's phone going off there. Uh, so Antonio Fernandez, he is known as King Tone. He's the former head of the Latin King gang out of New York City. In 1999, Antonio was sentenced to 12 to 15 years for conspiring to sell narcotics. He's the main figure in the HBO documentary Latin Kings, a street gang story, which, which, which was released back in 2007. He's also featured in the book The Misfit Economy by Alexa Clay, which was published in 2015. Upon his release, Antonio Fernandez shared his insights as a former gang leader and political act activist and how that relates to the quote-unquote legitimate world, and we're about to hear from him. Larry Levine is a no-show. We'll see if he shows up. Uh, Tommy Scoville, he was raised in an upper-middle-class family, skied professionally. Uh, he retired and became a public speaker and got rich. Then the doctor said to him, no more pain meds. That followed an addictive street life, which eventually landed him as a convicted bank robber in state prison. And he will speak to that. And of course, Monica Jordan, a Tallahassee private investigator who, again, 
works with defendants as they are heading to and from prison. Um, Tone, to you first, got to hear your story. Obviously, after reading your bio, I know that uh, you have served time. Tell me, how old were you when you got into the Latin Kings and why did you get into it? And tell us a little bit about the gang. Well, I, I I really got into the Latin Kings at a stage in my life when uh, I, I, I dropped out of school, like a third grade. And I was really, uh, I was amazed by the capitalistic uh, uh, creativity of my peers that uh, that made an economy work where there was none, right? In East New York, Brooklyn in the 70s, right? And, you know, and, and I was growing up there. And then I got addicted to the very drugs that I sold. So long story short, I ended up in Rockers Island in uh, 87. And in 1989, they became my boys club. They were the only people that were trying to explain to me that I could do better than I was producing with myself. And they told me kind of my own history, found my identity, found something to stick to that I, I found quite amazing that there was a brotherhood in a place that was full of oppression and, 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 and savagery, right? And here were these people trying to tell me, act, act normal and, and get your shit together now. <laughs> so the Latin Kings were brave in a part where everybody was giving up on trying to be a, a family and really have some directive. But in saying all that, I joined in 1989 in Rockers Island. I grew up in Rockers Island, so uh, it was a tough place to grow up. And I joined in 89, and, and since then... It was like the first thing, because a pastor, the Bible, my mother tried everything, prayer, to get me to understand change. And it came with a message from a Latin king that told me I could be something better. So that's weird, right? So the very thing that other people see as a threat, I think that's my salvation, right? And it might sound weird, but it is. So when I gave my heart to the nation, I also gave change a chance. And when I gave change a chance, I came home in 92, and I started practicing what I read and what I learned in there about oppression and who was the Puerto Rican people and what I was responsible for as an individual. And I started a mission of trying to transform the Latin Kings to what we used to recognize as the Young Lords and the Black Panthers and movements that had significant things for the oppressed people. And I did that in 92 to 98 with the Mothers Against Police Brutality with Richie Perez, the next Young Lord, and we are re, we are, I re-identified how you could take a power group, which I call a gang, if you remove that stinking thinking and start giving them a purpose and a reason to defend what they love in a different way. So that's what I do now, but that's when I joined the Kings in uh, 89. And I love them. I'm still a Latin King. As I work with the Justice Department, I don't denounce who I am to become who I got to be. You know what I mean? And I, I believe there's good Latin Kings that look good Crips. So not every every old gang members, they grow up and they grow out of the stinking thinking behavior and they become productive citizens. And I love, not enough of their stories are told. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. I didn't even know that was possible. So you're still part of the Latin King gang. Um, and how do they perceive you? I mean, are you, you're obviously not shunned by them. You're still alive. You haven't been killed by them. So they, uh, I love the Yankees hat, by the way, <laughs> New York, I'm from Jersey. And I worked in, I worked with your friend, Ernie Anastas in New York city at Fox okay. five. That's where I used to be. But, um, anyone from New York knows good old Ernie. Um, but you're obviously still a part of the gang. 
how do they reconcile? How does the gang, they, they welcome you with open arms, even though you speak openly and you're an activist and you're, you know, on the right side of the law now? Well, you know, a lot of people got a uh, misconception of that, right? Once in, always in, or if you get out, you gotta, you know, there's only one way out. And I think we start duplicating the stigma and the, the titles that they give us on gangland and all the behaviors that the justice people start preaching and the mafia movement, we start duplicating that behavior, not understanding that the basis of a real gang was to protect the immigrant, what they were called, against the powers that were already there to get their piece of the pie. And we lost that identity when we started losing our heroes like Martin Luther King and the movements that empowered people that were in what so you call uh, social clubs <laughs> and things like that in the 60s, right? So what I'm saying, you could take a group of people that have a purpose, and when they lose their identity, if you could come with a, with a spark that gains their interest in that they could change things and get a longevity and still be who they love to be, that shit is sexy. And that's what I came with. Why the hell are you going to drop the brand? Why don't you drop the behavior and start lifting the brand and showing who we could be if we practice what we preach and we don't be hypocrites to that? So, you know, it ain't easy being poor and trying to change again, right? And, and coming out of jail and, and capture, especially capturing the eye of Giuliani. You know, and that government who said, what the, what the hell do you mean a gang could change? What do you mean y'all could become a productive part of our community? You got to take that shit somewhere else, son. We lock up people like you. So that's what I'm saying. You're right. The perspective is, do we want the bad guy to remain the bad guy? Because then who's the good guy? And that's what I found out. That sometimes our greatest, uh, the Justice Department talks about change. It talks about rehabilitation. It talks about doing a 15-year sentence and you try to change your life and you come home and you find out the world didn't change. That's the same comebacks that send you to jail, right? And I'm just talking reality. And so a lot of what you see is these young individuals seeing and going, let's do the feds and doing 15 years or in the state. They come home with great expectations of them about for them what they got to do for their family and stuff. But their family and society stood the same. They're prejudiced. They hate giving second chances, and they really don't let you go. The things that you you your worst mistakes, right? I was a tough guy. I was a good guy who hit back. I did great mistakes. I admit it, but it doesn't mean I didn't have the ability to change and grow up and grow out of that mind that mindset. If you gave me the right people to give me the right the right endorsement to empower me to turn better instead of coming against the change, make sense? Hundred percent, and I can already tell that Tone is one of my favorite new guys. Uh, Tone, do I need to call you Mister Tone or is nah, just Tone? Just call okay? me Tone, you know. And then when I get mad, just call me King Tone. Okay, <laughs> I will make sure I remember that. Uh, Tone, we'll talk about this a little later. My biggest fear in life: Jewish guy from Jersey going to prison. And we're talking about a Jewish dentist from Fort Lauderdale who's a, who's going to be in state prison. We're going to get to that in a minute, but um. <laughs> Before we get there, Julie Fru, we have we have viewers all around the world. Julie Fru's in the UK. She's asking, not me, but she wants to know how old you are now. How old were you when you went into Rikers? How old are you now? Well, when my first experience in, in Rikers, you know, I'm 56 years old. So in 19, 
87 was the first time I got arrested. I was a young man. I, I really dropped out of school when I was about 10, you know? Uh, Mr. Chodis, this nice Jewish guy, made me read Jonathan Livingston Siegel, and he was talking all this amazing shit in third grade, and I didn't stand a lick of it. It was hard for me to understand any of that. And, you know, it became a place where I didn't find safe or, or, or inviting. So I just, I said, I'm packing up my shit and becoming a drug dealer. This shit is too, too overwhelming for me at this point in my life, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, but the reality is that, yeah, I was young when uh, when I first started dealing with the streets. But I'm 56 years now, and I'm a lot wiser. <laughs> yeah. uh, that happens with age, obviously. Uh, the COE, she's the chief of everything. She's the woman behind the scenes. She's asking if uh, if the person who's with you to make sure that your mic is, in fact, plugged in. It sounds like it's your computer. So I'm going to have you guys work on that for one second uh, quietly. I've muted you, so don't worry about it. And uh, Tommy Scoville, does it surprise you? Because it surprised me. I didn't know you could be in a gang and talk openly the way tone is speaking uh i'm assuming you know that that is a possibility and are you surprised that in essence tone is telling us that his salvation came from this gang the latin kings uh you know what i'm not um i'm not surprised by that if if he were a member of a different uh of a different gang um i might be but having done uh a you know a good chunk of time in the feds i i came across a lot of uh, a lot of latin kings and they do have a different mindset than uh, than you know other gangs behind the wall. It's uh, it, there's a family kind of a uh, of an aspect to that. And you know what? There are other gangs that do this as well. There are other gangs that uh, you'll see people who are trying to make the world a better place, and uh, and the brothers ex- accept that. Now, I'm going to make a ton of friends. You don't see it a lot in uh, in white gangs, to be real honest with you. It's not you know behind the wall. The white the white boys have a completely different agenda. And that's not really on the uh, on the game plan, but uh, but you know you see it with the Bloods and the Crips occasionally, or you know another one that was uh, was uh, pretty big with uh, um, was the Gangster Disciples when I was in. There was kind of a, a movement within the GDs uh, with some OG uh, uh, you know guys from uh, from that organization that were trying to do the same thing. So you do see it, but it's it's rare, and that's why it's cool as hell, you know. <laughs> You know, when you yeah. do see it, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty cool thing. But uh, from a Latin king, I'm a little less surprised. I'll, I'll be honest. And, and Tommy, for you, when you first got incarcerated and you started coming across these gang members, um, being a white guy and a, a white guy of privilege, I mean, you're a pro skier. It doesn't get more bougie than that. Um, how did you handle that? Right. Um, how did they? How did they react to you? Uh. You know what? I'm a I'm a big dude, and uh, and I keep my head shaved, right? So when I got to uh, when I got to prison, the white boys were just like, "Hey, this is great," you know, the frontline soldier uh, crap and all of that, uh, you know, kind of. And I'm not, you know, by the time I got to prison the first time, I was 39. I had no desire whatsoever to to help out anybody but me, you know. <laughs> I mean, just keeping it real. All I wanted to do was. Uh, keep my head down and get, uh, and get out of the way. And it was pretty easy. My first rip was in the state. When I got to the feds, uh, there was more pressure and I actually went through the special management unit, which is like, you know, where you, you go, if you hit a cop or you stab too many people, you do something stupid. And I had to go through, uh, that, that program. And I'm not kidding you. When I got to phase two of the program, the guy said to me, 
uh, this is going to be the guy you live with. And you're supposed to get like four days of being in a cell alone to mingle and try to find somebody because you're locked down all the time. They want to make sure you don't kill somebody. Uh, and they said, nah, this is your cellmate. I said, hey, don't I get to meet people? He goes, there are two people in, this, in the special management unit who are not in a gang. You're one of them. He's like, that dude's your cellmate. <laughs> you know, there's not much of an option there at all. But yeah, so uh, I was I was a rare breed uh, in the uh, where I did time. I was one of the only two guys. So there was, there was some pressure to tip up. Uh, but I'll just be honest. And again, I'm, I'm going to make a ton of friends. But the, uh, but the white guys have a different... Um, program behind bars and it and it's got quite a bit to do with hate and uh mm. and i got sober with the help of a black dude it would have been it really would have been uh, uh kind of hypocritical the only reason i'm sober is because a black guy helped me get sober so um wow, yeah I didn't how, do tall, the, how tall are my, you all my about? all my ink is six two six two six about two twenty five so you can handle yeah. your own um good to know by yeah. the way monica's husband's yeah. about six two He's a big dude, Monica's husband. Don't mess with him. He's also uh, one of the highest ranking uh, officers in uh, in in her county. And, uh, uh, never mess with that dude. Yeah. Uh, Dave Mincer, look at this, Monica. Let's get to the Adelson life in prison narrative. Everyone's got to give me a hard time. We're getting there. We're getting. It's called building. Up. It's called building up to the uh the, the the meat and potatoes of the show nick ripostella loved ernie he would often dine in the restaurant i worked in westchester no nicer guy than ernie anastas guy's the most optimistic upbeat guy in the entire world kind of like myself monica uh, yes. before i get to you monica i just want to say uh we try to uh raise each other up in this community and I met for the first time Judy Tsang, who runs her own YouTube channel, Asian American Legal Focus. She has a huge get tomorrow night. It is going to be an interview, an exclusive interview with Ryan Fitzpatrick, the former best friend of Charlie Adelson. She's going to have him on her show tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Eastern time while the COE and I are seeing Bill Burr do stand-up comedy. So I have to catch hers on the replay. Bill Burr is amazing, by the way. But um. Amazing. She's got this one-on-one -on -one interview with Ryan Fitzpatrick. He was a charismatic guy on the stand. Charlie tried to sue him. He told Charlie in so many words to buzz off and F off and told Charlie that he's going to one day rot in prison. And it looks like Ryan won that battle of words. But again, Asian American legal focus tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Eastern time. Ryan Fitzpatrick. You can support us on YouTube and or Patreon. And I know uh, times are rough on a lot of people. If you can't do that. Please give us five stars on any audio platform. Monica, to you now. So we got some uh, kind of crazy news right after this verdict, and I want to get your reaction to it. The defense gets an email from this alternate juror, and all through the trial when I was there, I was remarking about one juror who seemed to stand out, seemed to be sort of at odds with the state, if you will. And then, lo and behold, the defense files a motion claiming that there was some sort of jury misconduct, according to this uh, alternate juror who was dismissed prior to deliberations. What do you think of that? What do you make of it? There's no indication at all that these jurors were talking about anything related to the case. It appears, according to this person, that they had some sort of group chat going, but they obviously could have been talking about lunch or their kids. I understand that that's pretty commonplace. What do you make of this? 
Well, I don't want to sound like a cuckoo conspiracy theorist, but if I'm doing a murder for hire case and they're ta- and they're offering a million dollars to move the the kids to Miami and they've offered uh, Sigfrido and Katie and Lewis a pillowcase full of money to kill the guy, why can't you buy a juror? I mean, I've always I always was a little worried in this case that if they were not sequestered all of the time, that on a murder for hire of this of this magnitude with this media attention and all this stuff, and how are you going to find 12, 14 people that have never heard of it, blah, blah, blah. Like I said, I'm not trying to push that narrative that that's what's happened, but just in my own experience, I've always been like, I mean, if you look at the cocaine cowboys, they were killing witnesses um, in their own case. And they had jurors bought in, in, in the Maldonado and, and Falcone case out of Miami sit from the 80s. So this is not like new revolutionary, you know, stuff. All I know, I didn't watch any of the trial. I didn't watch it on live stream. I didn't go down there. I have to work for a living. Uh, so. Are you implying I don't, Monica? Me So I had to work for a living, but I didn't get all of this feedback that there was one juror that was just acted a little off-putting inappropriate quirky whatever you want to say i wasn't there but that doesn't surprise me i told i said the other night that after a verdict like that we always wait for somebody on the jury panel to reach out to us to tell us that we we knocked it out of the park the state sucked we, we hope your client dies we are always on high alert to get that kind of information do you think Georgia is worried at all right now about this? And do, does the judge even order some sort of uh, investigation? What What is Georgia worried about? She has kicked their ass every single time. <laughs> you think Georgia's, Georgia will try it again? Monica, you should be a member of the Latin Kings. <laughs> oh, I always mistake it and call it the Lion Kings, and everybody gets all mad at me, so I apologize. I wouldn't do that. No, I don't mean to be disrespectful. Cone, are there, Cone, are there, are there, fe- are there female members of the gang, Cone? Uh, yeah, yeah, there's, there's good women in the, in the Latin Queens, and uh, shout oh, out to all my sisters in the nation, wow. keeping it real, raising good children. Wow. Working I, and doing your thing. So yeah, they're the backbone of the nation. Yeah. Tone, I tone, I married a Latina. Um, it's not too late. COE, get in on, become a queen, COE. Get me some street cred, COE, please. Yeah, um, yeah but then, then you'll owe me 10% of your show. <laughs> yeah. Right off the top. Right off the top. That's coming get, down. Yeah. I don't know if I want to do that, Tone. Uh, we'll keep her out. Um, she's just a She's just a queen in my eyes. Uh, Monica, um, KDX signs here, super sticker. Monica, doesn't Luis Rivera, uh, and Tone, I don't know if you know this, but one of the uh, alleged hitmen, well, convicted now, so I shouldn't say alleged, Luis Rivera uh, was uh, head of the Latin Kings here in Miami Beach, where I am. Uh, But the question is for Monica. Monica, doesn't Luis Rivera have to be careful for being a snitch? Your thoughts, Monica. He's your client. Uh, my original, okay. So I have a couple of thoughts on this and, and tone can help me with the Latin King issue. My initial response is 
in the federal system, everyone's looking for a 5K1. Everyone is be a cooperating informant, a cooperating witness to not everybody. But what, a what's general, a 5K1? What's a 5K? We got to talk. Substantial assistance. If you give the government what they want, they'll tell the judge that you helped, and then they'll try. It. There's no negotiations in federal court. These guys know this better than me. Federal court is you plead guilty. It's the United States of America versus you. You when you plead guilty, you it's not a plea of convenience or a plea. You plead guilty because you're telling the court, I did this. It's not a who done it. I, I did it. You caught me. I, I'm going to prison. Once, But once you plea and you have this sentencing guideline, you uh, can do a proffer and give up other people in your organization or other people you sold dope to or whatever enterprise, other bankers that you played golf with that, you know, committed bank fraud. And in that case, you get uh, substantial assistance, ideally, and then you can get some time cut. And then there's other ways to cut your time. My position is in federal court or in federal in federal prison, in federal custody, there's a lot of guys that are there that have cooperated. So it's not as, uh, I don't believe, and these guys will speak more to this, I don't believe it's as much as of a, a bad mark on your name. Um, in this situation, and I've tried to be very clear about this, and I, I hope Mr. Tone appreciates this, this was not a Latin King event. They did not go to the council. They did not ask for permission. This was Lewis going with his idiot friend, who just happened to be a Latin King, who couldn't say no to his baby mama, who's now screwing the dentist, who wants to kill his brother-in-law. That is not a Latin King event. And every time Charlie tries to sit, drag the Latin Kings into this, it makes my hair catch on fire because that's not fair to the Latin Kings. And uh, one other thing I'd like to say, when when Tone talks about these gang affiliations and being a gang member and joining a gang when you're in third grade, and this is what I'll say about my experience with clients, and I've done everything from the, the warlocks to the warlords to the Latin Kings to the Bloods, the Crips, E-I-E-I-O, Every, everybody that's got some kind of criminal enterprise. Hollywood romanticized gangs through the mafia. And they always described it as a family. And I find it almost racist that an Italian-American can be a part of something that's a criminal enterprise and it's glorified and it's great. But if you're an African-American, if you're a Hispanic, if you're some kind of other nationality, culture, religion, you are called a gang. It, the reason when Lewis called this a family, this is what I'll say about this. People join gangs. This is just my opinion. I'm not an expert in gangs, but people join gangs or groups or families when they're missing out on something in their life. It's just like when people have affairs and step out on people don't have affairs if they're meeting all their needs within their marriage. And I feel the same like when you have a young person that's not being fed, clothed, housed, loved, uh, you know, he's not getting beaten on. When you go into these situations and that's where you're getting those those needs met, you join them and they become a family. By the way, just rant over. Sorry. No, but that's a that's a phenomenal point. And by the way, just today, 16 arrests of uh, the New York mob and arrests were made in Italy. Some guy guys by the name of Joe Brooklyn and Vinny Slick, part of the... Uh, Not Joe Brooklyn. Joe Brooklyn arrested Tone uh, today. So uh, it's all these years later, still going after uh, the mob. Uh, Mike Skidmore, Tone, 
says Luis Rivera did not snitch on any Latin Kings. What is that's, his future? I, I disagree. Yeah, I, I think just, all, I think they got a misconception of the snitch thing and and the feds and in the jail. It's a little bit being distorted because okay. the reality is, um, there's more people in the feds that didn't snitch than that did. That's a fact. If you do your, if you count. Now there's a lot of them that wish they told, right? If they, yeah. If they knew what they knew now. <laughs> you did right. That. <laughs> so that's the they, we say. There's three kind of people. That's the guy who's told. The guy who wanted to tell and the guy who just regrets that he got involved in this shit, right? So that's the real story. But he's yeah, saying yeah. that no matter, so there's two types of people in jail. There's some people that are going in as what we call normal people outsiders. They're going to go in. If they're rapists, they're a snitch. Their reality is they've come out of their normal world and enter a world where everybody's a criminal and they're just a different kind of person that did something that never expected to be amongst us, right? So now he, he would have been prey. Yep. That kind of person is prey if he's a rapist or not. Believe it or not, when you go in there and you go in there for a new crime and you don't really know who you were and you find out that you were Latin King but you weren't a murderer, now you find out you were more a gardener than the leader of the Latin King, so you tell. That's the first thing jail does and a judge does. It brings out the real who you are. If you're religious or you're Christian or whatever, if you're if you're if your preference is something else is sexually, that's gonna come out after that judge is down. That will come out in jail. So my point is the difference between a common dude that tells, he's just gotta worry of those dudes that just gonna be annoyed that somebody told on me too. And sometimes when I'm aggravated, I'm gonna beat the dog shit out of you. Right? That's that. You just you're just the guy who's going to get picked on so they protect you. The difference between anybody in a power group or in a gang is that you go into the second level of an acceptance and an oath to say, I'm not just a regular dude. I'm this tough dude who runs this power group and I hold to a certain code. So when you get in there, it don't matter if you were with a police that was dirty and you tell on the police, your ass is going to get it. You see, because they live by a whole different reality of what they deal with with someone who tells. So Lewis, uh, that brother, would probably have to live in, in, a, in, in institutions, like she said, where I run for people who told, for people who got sex offender issues, with people who have turned against the gang in jail. They got safe spaces and special prisons where the majority of the population is filled with them and not with people like myself and others that would not accept them entering their domain. Mm, that's very interesting. Monica, you wanted to say something before Tone got into that. Uh, do you remember what it was? Well, I was going to say, I was speaking about federal prison and state prison. He's got to do his federal time and then he'll move to state time. And he didn't testify... Um, Sigfredo is a is I believe is a documented Latin King. Um I thought only Luis was. I'm sorry. No, I think Sigfredo is as well. I mean they, they have they have such such rules and in, in the way they handle themselves. You know, when he gets to state prison, there may be some concerns. I know his family is scared to death. 
His family, this was, this was the oh, hardest yeah. thing in the world for Luis Rivera to do. I just want, you know, I, I, I think I make that clear every time. And, and I said this the other day, and this is the only way I can really verbalize this or articulate it to, pe- to make people understand. Lewis, since he was 13 years old, even before that, when he was involved in this civic group or gang or whatever they're calling this, this criminal enterprise, uh, he has always put everybody else before himself. Always. The family, his biological family. He was a father at 13 years old. Everything is, um, you know, every everybody has always been put before him. And I told him, you're going to die in prison. They're going to convict you. And everybody else could potentially get off. And everybody else has been paid more than you. For the first time in your life, put yourself first. Come home to your children. Come home to your family. And that was, there were hours and days that we talked about this. This was horrific for Lewis. And then everyone's like, oh my God, Lewis is such a great witness. He's so great. He's so this, he said, he's telling the truth. He doesn't embellish. He doesn't take away. He's not bullshitting. He's not inflating. He's not confabulating. He's doing nothing but saying exactly what his involvement was. And that's, that, that's real character. You can say whatever you want about Luis Rivera being a scumbag snitch and blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you something. That guy's first reaction when he was brought into this conspiracy to commit a murder was, I'm like, kill this guy. Let's go rob the lady with the money. I mean, yeah. that was his first I got to tell you, he, he, he was the most, he was to me among the most credible witnesses in this entire trial. I actually believed every word he said. No I'm question. not saying he's a best guy. Uh, go, Tone, go ahead, because you had a thought there. Yeah, you know, it, like, first, let me say something. I worked in a place where kids commit crimes every day, and I don't see it as, you know, snitches and all that. I got 130 co-defendants in my case, so I know about snitches, 30 of them. And I know about federal cases. I've been to 13 penitentiaries and state. So, and I did three years in solitude confinement with no human contact. So I know the whole gist of the thing. So what I'm trying to say for him, he was, I watched him testify as hard as it was because I know people testified against me. One, someone never tells on something you didn't show them. So the only rat that exists is the one I created. So I don't get mad if I'm in the field of crime and somebody turns on me. That's part of the damn game. So I don't get mad. I'll keep telling why you told on me. Sucker, that's part of this game. You take it like you take everything else. If you want to tell, it's because you were going to tell on your brother, your mother, when you got hit. This is what's going on. Let me explain something real quick to America. There's a lot of guys claiming to be gangsters, which is an idol they create. He was always a homebody. He was always a good guy. You can see it. He always served somebody else. But he wanted to create a character that fulfilled the desires that his father and everything portrayed in the neighborhood, and he got into it. So my point is you can't excuse him because I've got a thousand Latin kings, and a lot of us would have told him, what the fuck you mean we're going to go kill somebody for these fucking crackers? They're going to tell on you. But he kept it to himself, and with his homie, because he knew if he was going to talk to some sensible Latin kings, we would have smacked the shit and the dumbness out of his ass. Because we knew it was going to lead to a back rat to our 
nation and to our people. Not every Latin king is a dumb hired man for a bunch of fools that are rich living in another country fixing somebody's mouth. You see, I would have said, let's go see this doctor so I can punch him in his fucking face. Hmm. And really nobody believes, so I'm not mad at him for telling. Yeah. I'm mad at him for faking that he was somebody he never was and never mad enough to say it to the Latin kings, to the community. Yo, I'm a little too weak, people. I'm a good guy. I don't really want to represent this. How do I get out of this shit? So you can't, you can't, you can't justify him being a good guy trying to be a bad guy. He got to hold his nuts and take his time. Monica, and I'm coming to you, Tommy. Say, I'm sorry, um, Captain Tommy. I just wanted to say that people are saying that Sigfrida was not a was not a member of that organization. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. I, I don't know. I'm just saying everyone weighs in and is like, oh, their hair's on fire because, you know, Lewis testified against, testified in general and testified against potentially another Latin king. If it's, if Siegfried is not a Latin king, that's even better because I'm going to tell you, and I don't mean to be offensive to the Latin kings, but if he got played by his, this woman who's screwing the dentist, then I don't think that's really how Latin kings are, that, at least in my opinion. No, no, no. Exactly. <laughs> uh, here's a super sticker from Adam Lamparello. Uh, Tommy, I'll have you respond to this, and I got a question for you. The violence and abuse, sexual and otherwise, that prisoners face is disgraceful and a terrible reflection on our justice system. No prisoner, even Charlie Adelson, does not deserve that. Your thoughts, Tommy? I agree with you. Um, I may not agree that not, I think there's a few prisoners that probably need to get the, uh, the crowd slapped out of them for things that they've done that are just unconscionable, but I don't think Charlie Adelson may be, uh, maybe one of those, but the, uh, you know, what I wanted to say really quickly is when Monica was talking about, um, you know, the, there being a lot of people with five K's in the uh, federal system, you know, when you're at the, when you're at places where they're checking paperwork on yards, which I guarantee is where Tom did his time, you don't run into any of those people. But I did my time there, too. But on the way out the door, they stepped me down and I ended up at a prison in Oregon. That was absolutely something out of a movie. Like you walked in and it was anything goes. I walked in and there was a whole section of people standing up in the chow hall. I said, why do those people stand up? And he's like, oh, they all got, you know, messed up cases. You know, I said, and they don't they're allowed to be here. He's like, yeah, but they're not allowed to sit down in the chow hall. You know, like, but that. There was, I mean, everybody there was a rat. Like, the, you know, the, there was there were so many people or guys on the way out the door or people that, a lot of squares, guys that got uh, caught writing uh, too many scripts or whatever, you know, guys that just, like he was saying earlier, there are definitely two classes of people in prison. And there are those people that just, they're not in the life, you know? They're, they made a bad decision and they end up in there among people that have been making bad decisions as a way to make a living since they were seven. You know, it's a completely different world and, I think he's going into a place that's going to be rugged no matter where they uh, put him. I didn't realize he was going to the feds first. He's got to do a fed B first. No, 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 no. That's her client. Uh, Charlie is going straight to state. Oh, that's your call. Yeah. She was talking about, I'm sorry. She was talking about Luis Rivera who testified and he is a leader of the Latin King gang, but Charlie's going straight to prison. Monica, for the record, uh, just so you know, many people have chimed in. Uh, even Luis testified that Sigfredo is not a member of the Latin King gang, uh, just Wait, Luis. 
Yeah, I yeah. saw. Yeah, I saw that. So I, you know, so yeah. I don't know why everybody, everybody's like, oh my god, he testified against the Latin King. Well, if he's not a Latin King, then people should stop saying that. Yeah. Real uh, quickly, very quickly. I wanna, Go ahead, Tom. That, that's interesting. And there's another thing that's a misconcept about sexual abuse in the prison in this manner. There's only a certain kind of group, and he could no testify question. to this, that use sex as a weapon to, to punish someone. That's a very small group of people. And usually the power groups in the main gangs, most of them do not even, even a snitch, they won't practice that behavior. Those behaviors are practiced by, by predators and sexual offenders that are now big in bodybuilding and are in a place with a bunch of snitches and become super predators on men and the people in that prison. That's right. But like, like 15 little Latin kings like me would chase his ass off the yard because we don't let a super predator do that to any man that stands up for himself. And he knows that. So if you're not in a hateful group, you're in a group that at least keeps a president that we're not going to let somebody come in here and take young men that never meant to be in here and destroy their life because they don't want to join your stupid shit. They got a right to coexist with us. Right. And special men defend those kind of people in jail. And he could testify to that. So that sexual making somebody, yep. if you wish a snitch to be sexually raped, you got to be a sick kind of someone to wish that on anybody. Agree with that. Chase Green. And you know what? We're the, we're the only group. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead, Tommy. Go ahead. Uh, we're, it's it's the only group of people on the planet where if you crack a joke about them getting raped, people you know will will laugh at it and chime in. You know, don't drop the soap. Any other group of people on the planet, pick anybody, right? Other than other than a convict, and make a joke about them being assaulted, and and watch the world come unglued. But you find out someone's going to prison, and the first thing they say is, "I hope he gets a big celly named Bubba." The entire time I was in the feds, I never saw anybody assaulted that way. It doesn't go down. It really doesn't. You see it in movies constantly, but there's so much violence. It's off the hook. It's just not of that variety. I never saw Inter it. Interesting. Uh, Chase Green. Ch Charlie was my dentist. Uh, Chase Green, surviving the survivor at gmail.com. Reach out, surviving the survivor at gmail.com. I'd be curious to talk to you. Um, Renee Mason says, Charlie will do fine in prison. He has enough thug in him. What he won't be able to handle is the authority and removal from his <laughs> lifestyle. Uh, Tommy, what do you make of that comment? And then we'll go back to Monica. I think she has something to add. You know, uh, the guy did, uh, the guy, you know, had enough thug in him to uh, to put together a, uh, I mean, he's one of those intricate, crazy, stupid, I mean, you start looking at all of the different uh, aspects of this thing, it's right out of a freaking movie. I mean, it's almost ridiculous. You know, there seems like the whole family was uh, was involved. There's a lot of crazy communication. Everything about this case is just bizarre. But uh, whether or not he'll be able to handle himself in prison, there's going to be a huge shock. But I would say that the vast majority of that shock's already over. I mean, he's been sitting in there a long time, right? I mean, he's not been well, out he's walking been in around. Jail. He's, uh, he's probably gotten pretty accustomed. Yeah. Yeah, he's been in jail. Uh, Monica, Please feel free to bring up whatever you were going to bring up. And then we're going to dig deep into Charlie's life. Uh, 42 minutes in, never too late. And I want to dig deep. But Monica, one thing that people pointed out was during the reading of the verdict, Charlie was already cuffed. He also had leg shackles on, I believe, or they were placed on. And he had no tie. Was that for his own protection? Uh, was he on suicide watch the first night? No, that's for everyone thinks that when the inmate, when the defendant walks back in and he's waist chained and shackled, 
that that it means that um, somebody knows what the verdict is. I can assure you, none of the bailiffs know what the verdict is. Uh, and and usually in these high high profile cases, they'll have members of the SWAT team in the courtroom, kind of in plain clothes, so you don't know who's who. The reason why they do that is because if the verdict is bad, you don't want the guy having the leverage to flip the table or do some shenanigans like, I don't know, strangle his client or put a pin in his ear or some other reactionary, you know, I mean, it's a pretty traumatic experience to hear that guilt. There's nothing worse than hearing the knock on the door saying, oh, the jury's got a verdict. And then you sit there for 40 minutes while everybody goes to the bathroom and gets a drink. And, and the whole time you're wanting to throw up. So when they bring him out, he's <laughs> chained and shackled. And um, he, that is, that is nothing other than just to kind of keep the peace. If he's, if he's found not guilty, like, you know, like I had a client that was found not guilty on a double murder. Guess what? They, the bailiffs can't get over there fast enough. They, they shoo the jury out. They thank them for their service. They un, unwinding him and he's walking out the door with me. So sometimes people just read more into that than it is, but that is just for a safety protocol. It's not foreshadowing. It's nobody knows anything until the foreman hands it to the clerk. Um, the other Very thing quick. is that we take the tie off because there's nothing worse when you have a case with this much media. Typically when the jury comes back and, the, and the, it's not a high profile case, I'm getting the tie, the belt, his shoes, anything that I know he's not gonna take to DOC with him that I don't wanna have to drive to the jail to get. Plus the bailiffs are just gonna put it in a bag and um, you know, somebody just said, why did he have his tie and belt off? Say, same, same reason, you know, like, it's just for security protocol. And I did have a client one time when the verdict came back, um, he flipped the table. And I was like, holy shit, now can somebody get over here? Because like, this guy's going to kill us. Um, that That's why that is. Um, real quick, guys and woman, uh, Monica, Ms. Monica, there's a couple of wiretaps that were that are out there. And I just want to play one of them is Charlie sort of being a tough guy with a friend and he's dealing steroids. I want to listen to it together. And then I want to get into um, what his first night in prison is going to be like, what he's going to face. But let's listen to this one wiretap together and then we will bounce from there. Hang tight. Hey, what's up? Hey, bud. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I hate putting stuff in text message. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm like there. I got uh, Anavar. Oh, Anavar, bro. Yeah, you don't want Anadrol, man. That stuff will make you break out, turn you into a gorilla. You're not going into the UFC, so you're fine. Yeah, Anavar, I definitely, I want Anavar for maintenance. So I'm, I'm definitely going to get the Anavar for you, but I want the Anadrol too. And also, can you get injectable? Because um, it's, I was thinking about taking a trend and a test cycle. Yeah, I mean, I can. It's just... Part of the thing is just a hassle for me to drive out to get it to get from this guy. But um, well, how when's the next time you're going out to to reload from this guy? Because I, I can tell him what I want. I mean, um, so I do want the end of our. I'll get. Uh, what do you want? Uh, maybe I'll get like four of them. Yeah, I think four would probably be good. So four hundred. Yeah, that'll be eight eighty. Right. Yeah. Okay. So so eight eighty on that, and then I'll just get that like in the next day or two. And then when you get the anadrol, just let me know. Um, and uh, any any injectable test, three hundred or four hundred, and trend. 
Um, I, I'm All right. Cool that's it. When you do this, when you come and see me, let's uh, I'll write me. down, write down exactly what you want, and then I'll I'll send it to my guy. And I'll, I'll send it. Okay. But no, no credit card, no check. No, it's got to be cash. Yes. Okay. No problem. That's all right. I don't take Amex anymore. <laughs> it makes no sense if you're doing this shit. You, people like me and you, we can't have any records of it. So. There you go. Charlie's saying he does not take credit card. By the way, Tone, one of the de- the defense theory here was that this middle woman, Katie Magbanawa, was the mastermind and that he was being extorted on a layaway plan, that he had to pay the Latin Kings in payment plans. Uh, have you ever heard of such a thing? Do the Latin Kings ex- uh, accept Visa or MasterCard? And do you take your 10% in uh, monthly payments? Can you get on the record about that? So the first thing about uh, th- he's going to be extorted and he's going to belong to a certain power group or something. Wow, the so irony. he's not going to be fine in there. He's going to be fine, and he is going to be a, a detrimental piece because he does got a talent and he's got a special thing. But he's not sexually going to belong to somebody. He's going to financially belong to some group or someone who will protect him as long as he keeps the money coming in and doing all that tough guy shit he taught. They're going to have him on the police, on the phone in the feds, trying to get everything he can for what he's going to pay to the people who they're going to need because he pretended to be a tough guy. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, yeah, uh, power groups in there. So that's the thing what I'm saying when these these college kids and these, these, these white-collar guys do these big crimes, once they come into this environment, they, they financially, spiritually, and physically belong to one of these power groups, be it the white community power groups, the black group. They're going to pay a due so they can walk that ground like you pay a due to get to heaven. You better have something to give. Oh, he won't make it. He won't have an easy place in jail. So that's the truth. Even though he never told, but he's gonna need support, right? That's all I'm saying. He's gonna need support. And tone, what what kind of what kind? I'm sorry to interrupt. I should never do that, especially not to tone. But tone, what what kind of payment does he have to pay? How frequently? And there's so much irony here because he said that he said that the Latin Kings extorted him. Now he's gonna be extorted in prison. He had to pay them a payment plan which just sounds ridiculous but now you're saying he's going to have to pay some sort of fee how often and how much well no because each group deals with different kind of extortion now listen you're in a survival world now he's going to learn that all his life he had a silver spoon all his life his money his who he was meant something over there has no value all that's going to be valued is that his family still got money and everybody now knows that his family's corrupt and everybody's going to know that they do anything for each other. So they're going to make sure that his mom and dad knows that his ass is in danger every night. So they could squeeze every drop of that rich family's dime to make sure their son is all right. That's the first thing. They got a new reality in their house. That phone call's going to ring. He got 200 minutes a month. And he's going to spend every one of those minutes making deals for his ass. To stay alive without getting slapped, without getting moved around, and without being being totally dehumanized, right? That's one. You know, and what I'm saying is that the whole community knows his trial. So the first thing, he will be in protective custody for the first nine months of him going to jail. Because he's such a high-morality case, you don't got to be a gangster to be put in separation. 
if the, they feel that you got such a notoriety that everybody could do something to you to make money, they will keep your solitude confinement up to nine months. So he's got a he's got a time where he's gonna reflect and be by himself for a little while now when he goes into that set. And lastly, no matter who you are, when they think there's a suicidal moment or a security moment, even as tone, my laces were taken, my belt was taken. That's a normal procedure, as he shared, for someone who's going to go through this type of uh, procedure. Tommy Scoville, to you, you were older. I think you said you were 39 when you went to prison for the first time. Yep. He, he's 47. Tell, take me through in detail that first night in prison. What's it like when you first enter there? What do you do? Where do you go? How do you, how do you even know which way is up? Okay. Uh, as soon as he walks in the door, there's going to be a rep that's going to go up to him and he's going to greet him. It's going to be a, uh, a fellow white, uh, white guy. And he's going to walk up and he's going to give him the, uh, the welcome speech. And it goes something along the lines of, uh, Hey man, tell me you're in here for a crime. That's not going to you know, be messed up. Cause we're going to need to see some paperwork, you know, that shows us what you're in here for. And if you, if you're in here for something messed up, your best bet right now is to run like hell to that office right over there and tell them that you need some protection. That's your, I mean, it's, and they're given a get out of jail free card. They got that, that moment to run right up there and say, you know what? I'm in the wrong unit, but what's going to happen is he's going to get greeted. And as, as you were saying, there's a lot of notoriety to this case, man. You know, every, everybody and their brother knows about this case. And, you know, this was a guy with a Ferrari, <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of cash involved in this. And, 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 you know, the, the numbers that got thrown around are huge. There are going to be guys salivating. He's right. Um, and they're going to be coming from every angle. There are going to be guys who are very, very nice. And there are going to be guys who aren't, but they're going to be taking every angle they can to get as much of that money as possible. There are a lot of cats in prison and I hate to say it, make more friends, but especially among the fellas, uh, you know, among the white guys, there are dudes doing time. Who's, you know, that's their hustle. They, somebody comes in the front door, they get that dude, uh, you know, for as much cash as possible and wait for the next one. And that's how they're going to spend the rest of their time on planet Earth. So that first day and the, and the terror, I mean, when he sees, you know, they're, they're going to be cackling and catcalling and it's a very, very uncomfortable uh, walk. And I went in, you know, at, 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 I'm getting old, but when I went in at 39, it was before the PLRA. They brought us into the middle of a room in a unit of about 140 cells, stripped you out naked where you stood for 15 minutes while they went around and got paperwork and everything else. And I mean, half of the place checked in within about five minutes of standing there. There were guys running the office as fast as possible. The uh, it's, it, it's not as ugly as it used to be, but it's going to be ugly. It really is. And there are going to be dudes that are ready to test them. You know, there are, um, I, I went to a, a particular prison in the feds and they just, they just sent two guys in to start swinging. They called it a, a, a gut check. And as soon as I started coming forward, everybody stopped and, you know, a bunch of laughing and slapping each other on the back. Just wanted to make sure you weren't pumping Kool-Aid and this and that. Yeah, he's he's in for a, a world that he's never experienced that is not going to make any sense to him whatsoever. It just isn't. Tommy, it's gonna be, and, Tommy, I, and said I feel for the dude. Tommy, I said this to you before. My biggest fear in life, man, I'm going to have a nightmare. This might be shocking to tone, but my biggest fear in life is prison. I'd have to sweet talk my way around all this. Bottom line, we just talked about this, Tommy. And Tone, I know I want to get back to you. I'd be friends with Tone. Um, I'd just be the craziest white dude in that prison. I'd be slapping mosquitoes and flies that don't exist and make everyone think I was crazy, and I'd try to be nice. But, uh, Tommy, 
Is Charlie, this is a very blunt question. Will he be raped in prison? Yeah. No chance in hell. No? No chance in hell. No. There's no chance in hell of that happening. You know what? Number one, you got to come in the door with victim on your forehead. Right, exactly. If he he has that tendency, then that's probably going to happen. But the people inside that uh, that are sexually active usually want to be sexually active. It's, it's not because somebody's trying to take something. It's because that's a lifestyle choice. Uh, but no, that's not going to happen to him. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't even happen to him if he wasn't. But he's a big dude, you know, and, and yeah, he, he, I can't imagine way, that he'd be uh, down. But no, it doesn't happen. Yeah, uh, Tone, he is a big guy. I was actually surprised how big he is. He's probably like 6'2", six, 6'3", six, and he's thick. And he used to be on steroids, as you could tell by his, um, by his wiretaps. Does, does size make a difference? You know, the fact that he's kind of a big guy. Um, does it matter once he gets in there? And also, what do you think his first night in state prison is going to be like? Well, you know, uh, the first night is when I went into the feds, right, from the state. Anytime you roll up in the bus and you see the wall, I don't care who you are. I already was a veteran of a prison. When I seen the Livingworth wall, my little butt cheese got tight. I looked at that damn wall and said, oh, shit, here we go. Right, because you don't know the unknown is in that wall. Even if you were from another prison, every time they transfer you, you get that fear of here I go again. I gotta create a character, I gotta yep. get my shit together, because I gotta go through this whole play of the new guy in an environment. So one, it never gets old, and it's always a nerve-wracking for any type of prisoner, even as high as me, that I moved alone. I was shackled in black box. I Three-man movements, which means I'm moved by three officers. So what I'm saying, there's different degrees, but his first night, I'm telling you, is going to be alone. It's going to be separated, and it's going to be a a scary moment to him because he's going to hear everything he told those poor two men that were lacking kings and were broke and really didn't have shit, and he used his little riches to go and be such a predator and get poor people to do his dirty work because he was a coward like the rest of his dad family. Now he gets to live with those poor people he thought his money was always going to protect him from, and now his money is going to be the only thing that keeps him alive, and his parents are going to live with that on their conscience. They were so spoiled that now their money is going to have to be used every moment to keep that son alive. So they ain't got no easy road and good for them because this is what they get for thinking they could get everything they want, right? So now what I'm saying, his first night is going to be full of regret. It's going to be full of self-reflection and he's going to feel like the dumbest dude in the world. He's going to put his life... Well, he put his life in the hands of two, two guys that shot a hole in the gas line of a Prius and and just <laughs> who? Yeah, uh, he Monica. dealt with a guy that his wife was screwing. That was right. such a it's such like, a make believe thought that I could I can't I like what I said. How could you? How could you all be so stupid? So they all belong together in the same cell, saying the same story because that should be their punishment for all them dummies to be together in one cell and keep <laughs> repeating the story to each other. Look at Ruth, look at Ruth Benson here. Half this is this could be my mother. Halfway through the hour, still nothing. 
regarding we're talking about gang life, prison life. Relax, Ruth. We're in the middle of it now. Ruth, Ruth, calm down, Ruth. Uh, Tiffany, I like her. She says, I love this. Monica, so let's get what, what I blame there's me. Gonna, <laughs> going to be a uh, pre-sentencing investigation or whatever they call it. So, Monica, what what happens now? What are the next steps? Charlie will be in the Leon County Jail till sentencing on January 12th. Walk us through what happens now. So the pre-sentence report in the old days, and and my fellow guest can agree to this, in the old days, a pre-sentence report, if you if you had a client that had a pre-sentence report from the 80s or the 90s, I, they, it, that was like handing me an encyclopedia on that guy. I knew his aunt's name or address or phone number, her social, the nephews, the nieces. It, it was a roadmap. Every, everything. Those PSRs were like a roadmap to this guy's life history. Favorite teacher, favorite subject. Now, no offense to the Department of Corrections, but they're not a huge fan of me anyway. Um now they're very watered down. They're very, you know, really ticky tack. Oh, name. What's your mom's name? Did you ever have a job? How much money did you make? Just, it's just really watered down. So they'll go through that. It's a who, what, when, and where, and it'll travel and it's presented to the court to aid and maybe some sentencing issues. Well, this guy's looking at mandatory life. There's no downward departure. There's no no out of the box he's going so after he's sentenced we he will do what we call diesel therapy he will get on a diesel bus <laughs> and he will be transported to west reset florida reception center or the reception center in lake butler one's in chipley one's in lake butler and he will be classified and they will check him from his router to his tutor and these guys know better than me what that what that evaluation and assessment is like, but they're going to know if he's got high blood pressure, if he has sleep apnea, if his vagina is swollen, whatever, <laughs> whatever is wrong with, Char with Charlie Adelson, the Department of Corrections is going to know because they have to take that all into account in their assessment of what facility they're going to send him to. So, uh, but that's, you know, one, and then from there, and they're usually there at the reception center for a couple months. And then from there, they get on another bus and get a little bit more diesel therapy. And we call it diesel therapy in the feds because you're on that bus for three friggin' days from California to New York. And you have nothing but time to think about the anxiety, yeah. like Tone was saying, going to the next place and your assholes in your throat. Mm. Uh, very well said, Monica. Monica. Monica, I'm, I'm going to get some uh, lovely Sorry. hate mail, but I love it. No, be you. Please be you. Uh, Tone, you talked about, you know, the first nine months is going to have a lot of time to reflect. You said yourself you were in solitary. I would lose my mind. What do you do when you're in solitary? How, I mean, you get out in the yard one hour a day. Your meals are in a cell. Tell us what that's like. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> It's you work out, yeah, I was a lot better in shape than now. Serious Stone was kind of diesel. <laughs> you know what I mean? But anyway, you know, there's two kind of people. Once I live in a shoe, I'm a shoe monster. And I'm not trying. What that means is when I go to jail, I'd rather be in 23-hour lockdown than in a, in, a, in a unit with 150 fools that i got to punish every night. You know what I mean? Because it's just hard. I'm usually, I like cell environments, not, not dorms, you see? 
See, there's a convict talking now. There's specific homes I only allow myself to live in. And if you house me in the wrong place, I will force you to move me. I will not tolerate being in a place that I know I'm uncomfortable. So that's one. So then to survive in the shoe, you got to know and learn how to do nothing. And most human beings don't know how to do nothing, right? And then you get first inquired with, what is my day? What does it look like? And then you learn to learn the sounds that give you the time. Because I wasn't only a sound to confinement. I was in short term. <laughs> so I didn't go to ADX was made, made to live for a long time. I used to go to different prisons and, and plane therapy and go do six months in different penitentiaries across, across the fence. So my point is to do time alone, you must rediscover yourself and then start dealing with the self-reality. What got you there? How are you going to deal being there? And how are you going to get yourself out of there? Now, when you do that, you, you start evolving with how you spend time. You spend time working out. I used to read for an hour a day. Then I used to work out. Then I used to do mental meditation. Then I used to do a different workout. Then I used to go and have a conversation with those who were able to still conversate on the tier intellectually and have a meaning to a conversation. Not just uh, screaming banter and just killing time. So he knows it. So you start building your, your scheduling and you stay to it. Those that are weak and go to a special housing unit usually make you suffer. A person like me who has figured out how to do it, you suffer because you see the human being break down. You see him first go losing his identity. Then he loses his, his, uh, his, uh, his, uh, his uh, understanding of time. Then he loses the ability to think normally, and you see people start eating their feces. You start seeing people uh, just do the most horrific things to themselves, just not to be alone. And wow. and that's the that's the reality of solitude confinement. Is strong people usually who know how to read, self evaluate, re re rethink things, do well there for short term, but long term people usually don't make it out of there as sane as they believe they went in. So what I'm saying, that's how you get the good people, get a schedule, stick to it, and they keep themselves occupied without self-thinking and over-imagining things, which leads you into a make-believe world that usually leads to danger. Let me say something. I grew up with a lot of guys that went to Harvard and Princeton and all these guys, and well-educated. And I got to say, and I mean this wholeheartedly some of the smartest people i've met are guys like tone guys like tommy scoville um there's something to say about street smarts and uh, my dear mother is listening right now if just so many people i know are book smart and just have they don't know how to tie their own shoes so it's it's very interesting i know i'm going to get some hate mail hey why are you propping up this latin king guy i think it's really fascinating and not to mention that both these guys turn their lives around and are, are really productive members of society. So shout out to Tone and shout out to Tommy for turning their lives around. Um, Tone, Bobby Swain says, or asks, if his family, meaning the Adelsons, refused to pay, and they've got some massive bills right now, massive lawyer bills, maybe because they're broke, is Charlie's life in danger? If they can't pay the bills in prison, what happens? So, yeah, yeah. So th believe me. Uh, the prison has a way to, to you know, know your audience. Uh, 
The extortion gang knows what they extorted, <laughs> and they know what to extort and when to what, right? To extort for them. So what I'm saying, his broke ain't our broke, so we know that in prison, right? Their broke is not our broke. So they will demand the family, check it out, they have money to kill someone that didn't deserve to be murdered for their foolishness. They're going to have to shake their little booties and now to do it to keep their son alive. That's just karma coming after them, right? The reality, yes. He's always in danger. Yep. Let me tell you something. Me, I went in with 13 and a half years as the leader of one of the most notorious gangs in the world. You think I wasn't shitting bricks that I was in there with lifers when I was going home in 13 years? I was a target, even as with all the security I had and everything. I was a small timer living with big times and living with dudes who would have loved to have me on this stick of reputation. I'm the dude who got toned, right? So just because you're you're in a gang or you got some criteria or you run into place, you only as safe as the night you lived. The next day is all about survival once again. So me and him were in the same place, dealing with the same kind of situation. I just had a hundred time advantage on him because I was already situated. When I get a jail, I get a bag, I get commissary, I get my own table, I get a TV, I get a phone. And I'm five, six, I'm fat, and I walk like a ball-legged little dude. But when I go to jail, I get what I want, right? Do you see the difference? When he goes to jail, he's got to pay for what he wants. And he's got to pay to exist. So it's a scary existence in jail for anyone. So I don't want nobody to believe, because you're in a gang, look, youngsters. The only sucker that lives safe in jail is a sucker that tells. So if you're going in there thinking that you're a tough guy, every state, every county got a gangster. And there's always a tougher guy in the yard than you, in a King Tone. So don't believe that you're going to go in the federal penitentiary and hold on to your status like somebody ain't going to try you. So don't live on the dream that all of us make it home and all of us get a chance to change our life. And to change it. So I'm just keeping it reality. He's got a long road and the family got a long road. But I don't know why we've been so sympathetic of what he's going to go through when there's a victim in a family that's saying, what the hell? So what? Let me get what he got coming. That's yeah. what he deserves. Yeah. And the family deserves living every night fearing for their son <laughs> like that family goes to sleep every night missing their son. That's well put, Tom. Very well put. It's scary all around. Uh, it's a lose lose. I think um, they, you know, the Markels lost their son. The Adelsons are losing their son. It's a, it's kind of a disaster all around. Let's listen to one more. Um, this is a wiretap of Charlie talking to his mother, and he's talking about how he lies to the police and says he's an ER doctor to get out of speeding tickets. And I'll get Tommy's reaction to this. Two speeding tickets also in the last three weeks also. Oh, Jesus. You know what I do? I work yeah. at Broward General in the ER. There's an unwritten rule that they will never give a ticket to an oh. ER doctor. Really? Never. Because if they get hurt, the first face they're going to go see is you. <laughs> and every cop knows that. If they get hurt on the job, the first place they're going is Broward. Really? Going to the Bra yeah, they go to Broward General. They're going to the ER, Broward General. So do you want to look up and see the face of the guy you just gave a ticket to when you oh, walk man. in there? That's funny. I would never have done that. 
Yeah, Jerry told me that. He's like, man, I got like eight or nine tickets. I go, how? He told me. So I got pulled over. Remember I told you I was in the HOV yeah. lane with no driver's license and a handgun right. underneath my seat? He yeah. ran the he ran the license he ran the VIN number on the uh, serial number on the handgun and told me just be safe and try to stay out of the HOV. Tommy, um, you know he he wants to act like a tough guy. He's talking to us. That's like when I call my mom and I yell at her about how I'm gonna you know beat up someone that ran me off the road, even though the guy could kick my you know what. Uh, but Tommy, <laughs> what, what what do you make of that? And how's he gonna have to change his attitude in state prison? Well, what I think is really funny about that is just how cool mom is with it. I think that says a lot about the family. You know what I mean? Like, I, look, I, 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 uh, I've run a lot of cons in my life. You know what I mean? Like, I, it, it is what it is. I've run a ton of cons. And, but I don't think I'd have had that conversation with my mom. You know what I mean? I was never afraid of prison, but my mother would still kick my ass. I'm, you know, she's five foot two in Italian. I'm afraid of my mother. Uh, but yeah, that, that's kind of a shocker to me. His attitude is going to change instantly as soon as he shows up. Honestly, the thing that, that, you know, Tone said, I, when I rolled up to the SMU at Lewisburg, uh, Pennsylvania, there were two very famous uh, dudes on the bus with me, right? Some big time famous gangsters on the bus with me. And I was looking at their faces when that, when the wall showed up, not because I was judging them because I was terrified and was hoping at least one other person had that look on their face. And uh, yeah, you roll up on every prison you roll up on. I don't care if you've been to 50 of them. You roll up and you get that sinking feeling in your stomach. And here we go again. And the uh, the first one was um, it's it's the kind of terror that's exquisite. It really is. I think that this guy's his first night and uh, the reality of it. I saw somebody that put up a message that said he's going to take his own life. I don't see that from this cat. I think he's arrogant as hell, and it will at least hang in there and, uh, and and try. I don't see him taking his own life. I think he's too friggin' arrogant for that. Personally. Tommy, how long before he's challenged in terms of a, a yard fight or a fight in the prison? <laughs> You know what? It, 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 it's going to be a little bit different based on state versus, you know, in the feds, I could predict the hell out of that. I honestly could tell you probably down to the minute how long it was going to take before they go in there and at least get a gut check, which is where they're going to go in and a guy's going to square off and start moving forward on him. Like, and they, they would like to see him just sort of buck up and come forward as opposed to running toward the back of the cell. Uh, if he runs and towards how, the and back, how, he'll probably long, be looking for a new earlier, yard. How long? How long before they square up? I mean, is it how long are you actually in prison for? It took about four hours. Honestly, it, it took about four hours. When I when I got to Victorville, about four hours after I got there, I was still unpacking my shit in the cell uh, when two guys came in and just came straight at me. Um, and like I said, I mean, I threw the first punch, landed the first one, and the guy sort of got me in a bear hug in the corner, started patting my back. They're like, hey, we got we got a package. We're bringing down some stuff, some soups, and a Standing there going, what the hell just happened? And I was an old man. I really was. At that point, I wasn't young. I was in my 40s. But they were checking everybody. You know? That, dude, that, yeah, dude, that dude's a con man. That dude's a con man. Let me tell you one thing he better not lose. is that little con game he was running with his mouth. Because if he could talk that sweet as moms right, and to everybody right. into what he was doing, he could talk convicts into giving them an extra 10 days before they beat his ass and the money order is late. So he'll always keep being a con. He's good at it. Look, I've been doing dealing with gangsters. This dude, dude, this dude thought he was a common and thought he was gonna get away with everything every time. He's a little smart man, so he could use that in jail. That'll be a plus, you know, to 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 be be slides still show that you'll talk that <laughs> shit. But we're gonna listen because we're gonna give that a time. You see, because we know we've seen a thousand of him. And what I'm saying, he better keep that little that little 
because I have to know how to talk con stuff because cons will give them time just to be amused by it for waiting for the money order. So what I'm saying, you can see he always knew and he always been a con man, even though he was educated in that money. He sounded like a like a dope fiend to me. That yeah. who's buying a ten dollar bag on, on the street. Yeah, he did sound like a dope fiend. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey Tone, look at this comment here from Linda Liu, and I think this is probably somewhat accurate. It says the Adelson's bank records have them at about eight to million in cash, not counting homes and properties. When prisoners find that out, uh again, in terms of the extortion, how are they going to uh what are they gonna ask for? Well, Remember, we could only each get 275 in the fence. So you got limits of how much you could get, right? So usually, like let's say Colombians and those big cartel members like the chapels who fall into federal penitentiary, they usually link in, they link up with a mob or a gang. That gang, then he fills, let's say, the 22 members' lockers with 275. Let's say out of those 10 gang members, three of those gang members 275 still go to him so he could live like the Colombian kingpin or the dentist with money, but the rest of the gang got their lockers filled with the rest of the merchandise that keeps them alive with his with his value. So that's how it's gonna be. Believe me, we get on the internet, we'll send out, we know the family's worth, we know what they got and what they don't. And if this is not a like like a, a first grader saying, oh, I want ten dollars. There'll be those kind of dudes that are extorting short term, just think they're going to make a quick bucks. Then the dudes that are protecting them will come and smack the shit out of that dude and say, nobody extorts him. That's this. He stays still. You leave him alone. And the y'all will respect that because we respect each other's extortion games. So what I'm trying to tell you, his value of his life is, is at an all-time high. And the, they know that they never... He's never going to reach the place where he can't give something. That's the point. He'll always have something to give. And that's the end of it. And they all know that. Tone, I got millions of questions. Uh, is this your YouTube channel, by the way? A Serious Tone? Is that your YouTube channel? Yes, 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 sir. That's my check it out, everyone. <laughs> yeah, check out A Serious Tone. So two more questions real quick. What do you do with that 275? And dip the could Charlie get extorted? Do they ever take money to give to family members on the outside? In other words, could they say to Charlie Adelson, you got to give my baby mama 200000 Does that Does that happen? Yes, of course. So that's how we run the jail, right? We extort you inside. You, you, you send the Western unit to my outside place. My outside place takes care of my needs inside. And it's a whole economy that's got a, a rotation in it. So now what he'll happen to do, he'll street buy to street. Straight to street. So really, I'll take my stamps, my 250 books of stamps while I run on my poker table. You're a gambling addict. Your mother tells, sends me the $300. I give you the $300 worth of chips. You go into a $500 hole, your parents will, or whoever, your loved one mails to me. I check it the next day. If the money's there, we square. If it's not, pack your shit. Enter the shoe, come out when the money's clean, or mm. find a new prison to live in. So that's the kind of things that go on in there in the extortion game and how we work the economy. There's always some in, somebody on the outside involved. And Tone, uh, do you, for the record, yep. one final time, do you take payment plans? Could Charlie say, hey, I want to pay you 
instead of two hundred thousand, I want to pay you ten thousand dollars a month. You guys negotiate payment plans. Hell yeah, you know, you never get something out of a dead man, and you never get something out of a man right. who can't get a payment plan, right? So I got fifteen years. I got more than a payment plan for you. I got a home loan. I got a yep. car loan. <laughs> There's all kind of loans going on in there, right? And we also know how much the loan is. Some kids that are going to school. So I'm teaching you. So if you're poor, we install you poorly. If you're rich, we get a higher percentage on you. But nobody, I, I just want to know, you think this gangster, if you're in a jail, somehow, some way, you're part of an economy that's extorting something. Something is getting extorted every time. A CEO, a prisoner, a, a, a dentist that works in the in the infirmary. Every day in penitentiaries, people are getting extorted on every side of the field. I have never had so much fun being yep. so interested and scared all at the same time and talking to Tone and Tommy. And I, I want to go on for hours. We'll go on for a little bit long. I could talk to these guys for nine straight hours. They'd probably get mad, though. Um, Tommy, he's a periodontist. You know, he's a fancy dentist. Is, is that valuable in prison? Is going he going to end up being... <laughs> Is he going to end up being a prison dentist? Okay. No, he's going to end up being a prison doctor. That's what he's going to end <laughs> up being. He's going. He's had enough medical training that, for real, he will end up being. I've I've watched dentists in in the feds. Uh, I don't care what your medical training is. You could be a vet. You are now the doctor. So when a when a, a fist fight breaks out and a guy got you know needs some stitches, but you don't want this dude leaving the yard, right? He goes down and gets stitches through the the feds. He's on the next train smoking. But there's always a guy in the unit that, you know, they can take a little blow or whatever, numb it up a little bit if, if he's, you know, solid. If not, you just stitch him. But send him in there and there's always somebody that's ready to do some uh, some low-rent medical care. But, yeah, he'll be a doctor. More than likely, they'll turn him into the uh, the unit doctor. And pr I promise you, if he if he doesn't remember a lot of medical training, he'll pretend quick as shit that he does. Because that will be, that, that will be a, uh, a, an asset. He'll be talking a good I, game real way, quick. Because I, I agree with you. I think he's... He, It'll be <laughs> no. There's there's wire there's wiretaps there's wiretaps of him with his mother talking about how he basically gave people drugs that they didn't even know what they were getting. They didn't want them, and he secretly gave it to them. Um, so it sounds like he'll do what he needs to do uh, to survive in there. Tommy, how often do you get moved around? I mean, Tom uh, Monica was saying he's going to go to one of two state prisons in Florida. How long should he plan to stay in that first day prison before he's moved? So normally the way it works is there's a couple of options off of the yard. One is you do everything right. Your points drop. So your custody level drops. You get to go to a slightly nicer facility, which really means you're going to be surrounded by way more rats, right? It's, the, the lower the custody level, it may not be the best decision ever, but the lower the custody level, a little bit more freedom, you're out more during the day. The other option is he's going to get in trouble. He's either going to get caught with some dope or he's going to get in a fist fight or something like that that's going to send him to the shoe. And then he's going to go to the next uh, the next yard to do it all over again. And sometimes, you know, um, they squeeze a little too hard extorting him. And, you know, the guy might panic and run to the, uh, you know, to the cop box and say, you got to get me off this yard. And then they'll try that somewhere else, you know, the next place that uh, that he goes. But there's, you know, there are there are ways off the yard. He could be there for four or five years if uh, if his family's paying bills. And I agree with him. There's going to be street to street. His family's going to be running around sending money to this person's baby's mama and this person's, you know, you, every OG on the yard is going to have a a locker full of stuff. That two hundred and seventy five dollars you were asking about, 
he's going to buy Zuzu's Wham Whams and uh, other things that they can cook, right? It's just going to be soups and, uh, and sugary treats for every single, uh, you know, big homie on the yard, right? Every guy that's wow. put in enough time to be a, uh, a ranked member of one of those organizations is going to have a locker full of crap paid for by that individual. Usually how and Tommy, works. how long from when he He's, breaks the plane to that first prison door until he gets extorted? By the way, Kristen Grogan, Joel is probably having a panic attack talking about this. Uh, yeah, I am. Um, I'm definitely getting Tone's cell phone number. Tone is going to be my body. I'm going to I'm going to text that dude and make sure I'm safe. Um, Tommy, how long before he gets extorted? Um, I think the process will start the first day he gets in there. They're not going to start asking for cash day one. But I promise you there's going to be the boys are going to sidle up next to him and they're going to start taking uh, inventory of exactly how they're going to approach him. But it's they're going to be uh, day one. As soon as he walks in the door, they're going to be uh, they're going to be looking for a payday. Is this guy? He's going to be in the shoe. He's going to be in 24 hours. Excuse me. He's going to yeah. be in that shoe. And he's going to hear somebody from down the hall go, hey, how you doing over there? <laughs> Do you want, yo, just come to the door, come to the door, come to the door. Go ahead, get up, get off the bed. Come to don't the door, worry come about to the door. It. Come to Spin the door. Spin a line. Don't worry. Spin Put a your line. mouth right in the crack and talk to me. And then it starts right there. It starts immediately. Even in the shoe, they will yeah, let them know friend. we're going to send you somewhere. Wow. Um, one more big issue to talk about, and that would be Donna Adelson, Monica. This is the mother of Charlie Adelson. We've heard her on the wiretaps, Tone and Tommy, uh, the collective thought by people. By the way, Monica, people have asked me, Monica is not an attorney. She is a private investigator that works on behalf of defendants. She worked with Eileen Warnos, the famous female serial killer. The movie Monster was made about Shut her. That was up. Monica's client. Monica Ooh. could probably handle herself in the men's yeah. state prison, I bet. Monica didn't take any crap. No but Monica, um, No Monica. Yes. Yeah. Tommy, did you have a question? I'm sorry. No, I was just, I'm impressed. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's uh, very impressive. Monica, Donna Adelson. There's two Adelsons people would like to see uh, atone for their sins, if I could use that phrase. And the first one is the mother, Donna Adelson. Right now, what's going on behind the scenes with, the, you know, the state attorney's office, with Georgia Kappelman? When she was asked by media, she said, stay tuned. She also said it's an ongoing investigation. We had the Florida state attorney, Dave Ehrenberg, on yesterday. He said no prosecutor would ever say stay tuned if something wasn't coming. So what's coming our way, Monica? Probably an indictment. I mean, he Charlie said on the stand his mother was writing the checks uh, to the girlfriend, the stripper, because we're so terrified we're being extorted. So he's lumped her into now knowing why we're writing the checks to Katie. Now, I don't think George is going to take a swing at Donna with some ticky tacky after accessory after the fact or conspiracy to commit murder or some BS charge like that. I have said this from the beginning. You have every player except for Wendy and Donna and Harvey in custody. They will monitor every syllable they utter verbally. Everything they wrote, write, 
so they're gonna and they're gonna have people that are gonna want to capitalize on this or you know extort them by saying oh charlie told me his mom and him planned it whether that's true or not there's liar liar pants on fire all over the all over the prison system so that's what i've always said georgia will probably lay in wait and and the material will just fall in her lap and she'll have another slam dunk the one thing i wanted to say because uh, I do have to prepare a meal for my family, so I have to leave soon. I'm not, sorry. Not allowed, Monica. Not go. Well, it's probably okay. gonna be like some bullshit. Okay. But, uh, uh, what I was gonna say, this this group that I'm with tonight will understand this, and I know that the audience is not sympathetic to the Adelsons, and I and I get that. I understand that completely, but I don't ever want it to get lost on somebody. Monica, hold on one second. When you say this group, does that include, do you consider me a tough guy, a street cred kind yes, of guy? Yes, okay. this, this group. Oh, hell okay. yeah. I wanted, um, I wanted to make sure. Go ahead, that Monica. The for every day a loved one is in custody, that family is doing the time with them. And I don't want, so Donna and them are, they're, they're not doing time. Don't, I'm not making light of it. Don't jump, don't jump on me with both feet. Um, but I'm just saying it's like it is devastating to the family. And I and I agree with these guys wholeheartedly. Charlie Adelson will do more to the prison economy and inmate.com and, and their Bitcoin bullshit system than anything else to hit the prison system. I mean, it, they're gonna be they're gonna be extorted. And when we go back and just one more issue, when we go back and we talk about all of these assholes in prison and all these tough guys and all these rapists and all these things. I'm going to share something with you. I've had guys come. I've been a part of seven cases, seven guys that have walked off death row, primarily because of, of my work. We were teams, but I was the investigator or the mitigation specialist. And what people don't understand when they're like, oh, those animals, they're scumbags, they're this, they're that. I had a guy on death row that was went to trial, could not speak English, had no translator, came over on the Mariel boat lift. And when he got to prison, it was those animals that taught him how to read and taught him how to speak English and taught him how to write in English so he could file his first appellate remedy. Mm. Ultimately, later, he walked off death row. So although I understand that in this situation... I'm really mad at Charlie because my loyalty is to Lewis. Lewis is my client. There's a big difference between serving life in prison with no calendar and serving time where you can mark mark days off a calendar. There, there, that, there's just night and day difference. But I, I that family is forever fractured. And um, yes, Catherine, you're absolutely right. Donald Adelson is not a normal mother. I, I could not agree more. I'm just talking about the general the general world that if there is an inmate in custody, there is a mother, sister, brother, uncle, daughter that is doing that time. I mean, look yeah, at these two guys. They were in custody. They served their time. They got their shit together. They made something of themselves. They've atoned for their sins. Um, you know, they're productive citizens now, but there was a time that there was a mother a sister, an uncle, a wife, a baby that worried about them. And that's all I'm saying. Charlie has a five-year-old child now too. And I just wish um, these children were not a part of this. Yeah. Uh, well, Monica, yeah. well said. Monica, I'm going to let you go because you've been here way too long. I appreciate it. Say Bye. hi to the husband. I will. And uh, talk to you Bye, soon. Guys. Thank Monica, you. you're a rock star.
Oh, well, yeah, I'm yeah. going to keep fighting the fight, you know, all, right, all, keep of going. My, all of my clients are in it. I love it. Where, where were you my whole life? Amen. Like, like, <laughs> right. Bye, guys. All right, take care, Monica. Uh, you know, oh, I wanted yeah. to real quickly yeah. what she was saying about the parent thing, right? Both sides lose in every and every situation where you end up in the justice system, right? There's no Both winners. And there's the no kids winners. are the innocent. That yeah, there's never winners. But like she said, we gotta we gotta remember, right? It's like if I'm dealing drugs in the street. And I start letting my mother live the luxury life with me. She's innocent to it, but she still understands how is he bringing money and he don't got a job, right? So she's guilty in some form of way. That's a different situation, right? She don't join the crime. She won't get in it. But she can't snitch on her son. She can't find it in her heart to turn herself son in. And there's a lot of parents out there struggling with that decision, right? Then when he gets busted, you sympathize for the family of people like that. But now if a mother is giving the package to the son and telling him to go out in the block, he gets caught, he's doing a time, and then you tell me, oh, we should mourn for his mother who feels he's in jail. If this lady had a part in the crime and her her part of this of commerce suffering, seeing her son in jail, I don't see why I should have any sympathy for her having to feel uh, the, the the consequence of her bargaining, her freedom and her son's freedom in a foolish manner, right? Just like I did it. When I, I bargained with my freedom by doing a sale, I had to go and tell the community and my Latin kings and everybody I was a fraud. I cheated, I lied, I lived a double standard life, and I'm going to go do 13 years, and I'm going to come home a better man. And I'm going to dare anybody in the federal penitentiary to tell me that I'm not going to come home a better man. And I went and got my mission. So my point is, my mother used to tell me, you told the world you're King Tone, now be King Tone. Go in there and finish it off. Come home. Be King Tone now. So what I'm saying, this mother, her quiet pain, (laughs) is that I never told my son no. I never told him when to stop thinking like a criminal when he wasn't. And I never told him how privileged he was and stop acting like he ain't. And now she's got to pay for that sin, right? Like any mother who abandons their children and doesn't take care of them. So what I'm saying, she's only suffering what she built. She built this monster. Now she's got to live with it. And she's got to support it. Well, well said there, Tone. A uh, question from Maya Maya, and we'll we'll start to slowly wrap up here. I have a couple more questions. Yes. Um, Captain Tommy, to you, does Charlie get conjugal visits? You know what? I do not know the answer to that in the uh, the state they're in. I don't know. In Florida, whether or not they do conjugals. But um, Uh, Monica would have known that. I'll uh, find out. New York York does, but I don't know about that state. (laughs) And I'll I'll tweet that out at Podcast STS. I'll ask Monica. I'll get an answer. I'll tweet it out at Podcast STS. Um, Tommy, I think you mentioned this, but I just wanted to circle back before Charlie even crosses the plane of that prison door. Are they going to know the inmates inside that here comes a high profile, wealthy, former dentist, periodontist? Yeah, yeah. They may not know two weeks ahead of time, but they'll know more often than not. There's a clerk working in one of the uh, the offices that's an inmate and they know when somebody's coming. 
I remember being on Fed Yards where we, you know, Big Meech was coming and, you know, everybody was talking about that a week, a week ahead of time or two weeks ahead of time. And um, so, yeah, they, they, they'll know. And I promise you they'll be salivating. You know, they're already planning who's getting what. Uh, Tommy, back to you on this. So Donna is 73 years old. She's the matriarch of the family. Many people believe she was the, you know, the, the puppet master here. She was pulling all the strings. It is very likely appearing very likely. And we've talked to a lot of legal experts that she's going to be indicted. What is she going to do? I mean, she's going to get handcuffed at 73. What is that going to be like for her? I have a really difficult time wrapping my brain around that. You'd like to believe, you'd like to believe maybe they handcuff her in the front. This woman's not a criminal, right? But they're going to perp walk her. This is going to be a big deal. Hey, Tommy, they're going to cover her up and treat one, her bad. Tommy, hang on one sec. I'm getting back to you. I would just like my new friend, Tone. Look at Seb Fettel here. Now that the Adelson trial is over, this channel sucks. Anything <laughs> to say to him, Tone? Well, you know, some people are close-minded and, and they get entertained by the, the smaller things in life than the reality. You know, I will love, uh, you should take a heat of this because you might get stopped at a traffic light and find your little ass in a cell and you're going to remember this show and you're going to start acting like a tough guy. So if you need any classes, get on a serious right. show, you know? <laughs> no, but by yeah, the way, he, I'm never going to act tough. I'm going to act crazy, right. like I said. But Tommy... On a serious note, what the hell were we just talking about? Um, what were we just talking about? She might indict the mom, <laughs> and she might get handcuffed. Oh, yeah. And, well, she might, and, and yeah. That, let me tell you something. Secret indictments are scary. And the most scary part that she's going to live with is if you did a crime or did if you ever assisted in a crime, that's one thing a criminal never does. He never stopped worrying. You never stop worrying until you get caught. So, and the number two, her son is already in jail and there's a way we call dry snitching. What's gonna happen little by little as they talk on the telephone and they get more comfortable that they know that they're slick enough like they've been their whole life to talk secrets and it's not being decoded. He's gonna incriminate her more and more as he talks to his moms on the phone through this bed. He's gonna let little things out that the DA is going to catch and understand that she was more knowing of things than she ever said. And that's the danger of somebody in calling somebody out. Um, by the way, Jean McDonald, my mother, who's 84, would agree with this. She has My mom has a lot of years left. 73 is not that old, youngsters. Uh, she could have 20 more years. You don't know. Damn straight. Um, yeah. That's I mean, it's, right. it's kind of crazy. But Tommy, um, just back to Donna for a moment, because I kind of cut you off there to make fun of this other guy, uh, Seb. But, you know, yeah. how for her right now, Donna in particular and Wendy, they don't know what's coming. You know, they have to constantly look over their shoulder. And I know some people, because I live in Miami, who know them. What kind of agony must that be <laughs> just in this kind of waiting game? And you just don't know. You know what's crazy is I I know this the uh, I know the answer to this question really well because when the for the bank robbery part of my career um, I knew I was I knew for seven and a half months right that uh, there was an open investigation and by the FBI into me for bank robbery I had been called in they had been very friendly about it in the beginning and it's a hell that is impossible to wrap your brain around 
every time you walk out the door, you hear the shutter of cameras clicking, you know, it gets in your head and, and you're not sleeping. It's, um, I would imagine that this is the most difficult uh, uh, time of this woman's life and it's going to string along. She's probably going to be relieved to beat hell when they bang on the door. I mean, I know I was, I was honestly, I, when the arrest me. finally came down, you're like, oh, thank God. I, I agree with that 100. Yep. I was under three-year uh, watch by the FBI team. They followed me for three years. They followed me so long, I started filming them following me, filming me. But the point is, when they cuffed me finally, I knew it was over. I knew that yep. what I feared for those three years finally came. And as embarrassing and as how hurtful I was, I knew the next part of my life was starting. It's the weirdest thing. It happens immediately. They cuff you. You go, okay, this is it. It happened. It's real. It's yep. over. And then you start living your new reality. What are you going to lie about? What are you going to cheat about? How are you going to get these police out? Believe me, she's going to go back to her normal status that she did all her life for her family. After the reality, now I start doing what my son does. Now let's perfect our life. Believe me, she's going to snap out of it quick, even at 73. Hmm. or whatever her age is. She's going to go into that that phase that we all go through. Huh. Now, how do I survive? Tommy, final question, then we'll get some final closing thoughts here. Was it tough for you? You went in late, so I imagine it, it wasn't hard. It was a relief. But was it tough in any way to get out and be free? That's not going to be an option for Charlie. But, you know, your whole day is planned out. You know exactly by every minute what you're doing. So what's it like when you're released? Well, you know, for me, I was I was such a uh, just a ridiculous junkie for so long. But the last time I got out was the first time that I, I had ever been sober. Um, but the the shock and the reality of life, you know, I've told the story on my channel a bunch, but um, I got out and I went up to an ATM machine because the feds give you a card with the remainder of your money on it. And I wanted to go get the money out. And there's a guy standing a foot and a half behind me. I'm not exaggerating. He's literally like 18 inches behind me while I'm taking money out of this machine. And I turned around and just politely asked him if there was something wrong with him and whether or not his parents were married when you know, he, uh, his mom gave birth to him. And just, you know, what, why are you this close to me? You know what I mean? And the person I was with was like, hey, you need to, you need to pump your brakes. You know, I'm like, why is this idiot this close to me? And, and to the rest of the world, I'm looking like there's something wrong with me. You know, she's like, you know, you can't be like that. I'm like, me? This, what is this dude doing? Like, why would anybody be this close to me, especially when I'm taking money out of a freaking machine? But uh, yeah, it was uh, everything about it. And, and, you know, he can tell you the, the world treats you different. They really do. You know, now I've had this uh, this channel and this uh, this mission going for a long time, and I can go in and talk to people, and they treat me kind of like Tommy. Tell us the name of your channel. Yeah, I'm sorry. Tell tell us the name of your channel, what you do there, because it's very important. Thank you. the uh, The channel is called the Lifeboat, and uh, you know we're all whatever whatever addiction you're struggling with. You know, whether it's eating or uh, not eating, or drugs or alcohol or anything else, gambling, right? Sex. It's we're all in the same boat. And uh, I started the channel just in hopes of staying sober when I got out of prison, man, for real. Mm. It was just to come on and tell people every day that I'm trying to make it. And if a couple of people watched, maybe I'd get sober. And that was 11,000 people ago. And there's a lot of people that uh, that have you know come to uh, to sobriety through the channel, which is beautiful. And it's not me. It's all the people that show up because we do it live. So for two hours a day, at five o'clock a.m. and five o'clock p.m. Uh, Pacific time. Uh, we do what amounts to a kind of a sobriety meeting, kind of a, of a screw around kind of show. And it's, uh, 
yeah, it's just, it's been a good thing. It's helping a lot of people and I'm, I feel amazingly blessed to be a part of it. Well, listen, I said this before, I'll say it again. Uh, some of the nicest, best people I have ever met in my life are actually former inmates. So we don't call them ex-cons, I call them former inmates. These guys have incredible street smarts. They've been to hell and back and uh, these guys are making a life for themselves. And uh, sadly, Charlie Adelson, or maybe not so sadly, he's not going to ever be able to make a real life for himself other than inside the prison walls. But these guys were able to get out and turn their lives around. Tommy Scoville, you just heard his YouTube channel's lifeboat, Captain Tommy Scoville. He was actually raised in an upper middle class family in the Northeast. He was a professional skier. He retired. He became a public speaker. He got rich off of that and then became a drug addict and turned to a life of crime later in life. Tommy, you know, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but there's occasions where I whine to my own mother and I say things like, <laughs> I don't have enough structure in my life because I'm no longer network news and I'm out here free, you know, pretty decent life. What is your message? You know, there's so many people you hear who are struggling with different things, but from your perspective, just being free must be a big part of your message. So what is your message to people right now who are kind of feeling sorry for themselves, maybe having some anxiety, you know, not wanting to, I don't know, go food shopping. They're too lazy. What's your message to these people? Well, you know what? I, I remember when I first got out of prison, I used to think to myself, freedom is wasted on, uh, on the free because so few people actually uh, uh, appreciate anything. You look at them, they're pissed off because it's raining. And if you could look at an inmate looking out at a prison window going, if I could feel that rain on my face, right? But you don't get a shot at any of that. You know, they, they tell you what you're going to do when you're going to do it. But after being out long enough, what I came to realize is that 99% of the people that I met were in prison anyway, right? They're, they don't have bars around them or whatever, but they have mm -hmm. managed to, uh, to turn their life into a, uh, into a, a, every day they get up in the morning and they're miserable about getting up and, uh, and happy about going to bed. And since I got out, I literally live the other way, man. It sucks going to bed. I'm happy as hell when I get up in the morning. My message would be that anything that's holding you back, man, if there's trauma or if there's something in your life that the opposite of addiction and the opposite of every other ailment that I've ever come across has, is connection. And if you're connecting with people, that's why lives like this are awesome. People get to know one another in the live, in the live chats. And there's just a, a community of people that are looking out for one another, this building online that's making social media into something that maybe it was originally intended to be and dreamed to be before it turned into, you know, porn and hatred. You know, yeah. but uh, yeah, that's sort of the message, I guess. Tommy, that's beautiful. That is honestly beautifully said. I think both of you guys need to write some books and I'd be happy to help with that journey because I think your stories need to be told. And uh, what you just said really resonates with me. Uh, some people, even though they are that freedom is wasted on the free or however you stated it. And also the fact that people are living. Yeah free lives but they're essentially in prison the way they're structured and sometimes i fall into that trap so i need to learn that message myself one thing tommy people often say i'm addicted to sts i always say it's better than crack cocaine what about an addiction to surviving the survivor tommy scoville oh there are good there are good addictions I'm, I'm a firm believer that it's a lot easier to swap an addiction than try to break one so, you know what, if you're out there smoking a little crack, maybe you should trade it in for SDS. I think it's probably a, a pretty good swap, right? Trade one for the other, that's a hell of a trade. Freedom is not overrated. 
that's what I've learned. If I could tell anybody, is freedom is not overrated. <laughs> and, 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 and once you no, taste freedom, that shit gets sexy. So I've never been as free as I am today. Being myself, King Tone, and being Antonio Fernandez. So I got my idol on the check, and I understand his value. But I, I, I'm so much in love with Antonio Fernandez and how he was so creative to create a character as King Tone to survive in a place like Rockers Island in the fence and still come home saying enough to use that character to keep people hoping and seeing that change could be done by watching me do it live and on, and, and on any platform that they give me. Mm. Uh, COE, I hope you're already cutting that soundbite from Tommy for our sizzle reel about good to be addicted to uh, STS. Finally, a huge thanks goes to the man in the Yankees hat. Tone, how's your uh, how's your boxing game? Were you uh were you were you a boxer your whole life? No, not wasn't a boxer my whole life, but I have four sisters and I grew up in East New York. So I I fought enough that I learned to fight. <laughs> <laughs> I lost enough to become a good fighter, right? And then uh like you said, and then for the bigger guys that are that are a little too cocky in jail, they make big knives for suckers like that. <laughs> mm. So ladies and gentlemen, Bone that crushes. Is <laughs> that is uh, Antonio Fernandez, also known as King Tone. He is the former head of the Latin King gang. In 1995, King Tone was sentenced to 12 to 15 years for conspiring to sell narcotics. He's the main figure in the HBO documentary Latin Kings, a street gang story. It was released back in 2007. He's also featured in the book The Misfit Economy by Alexa Clay. That was published in 2015. Uh, he's now an activist, and you can tell he's an all-around good guy, very smart guy. Uh, Tone, your final thoughts kind of around the same uh, notion as what Tommy just delivered. What's your message to those who are free but not living life to the fullest? First, you know, I believe that as human beings, you know, we got a special, a special thing about us. We could communicate, and we could tell things that we feel and what we're going through. And I love to practice that. And I will tell everyone, man, you never know when you're the next person that's experienced the justice department. So be slow to judge, be quick to listen. Don't let the, the fantasy of your reality take over what's happening before you, where you lose your sanity and your freedom in the midst of the bullshit, all right? So what I'm trying to say is, Love yourself enough to see what's going on around you and see it for what it is. Don't be judgmental. Be supportive. And people are not their worst mistake. People are when, when they commit their worst mistake, when the community is not forgiving and accepting that all humans deserve a second chance. So that's the greatest sign of freedom of a person is when his freedom could be a sign for another person to find their freedom through their story, through their sharing, and through that trauma, we don't have to continue being our trauma. We could uh, we could live with a trauma and still be successful, still be happy, and still find a new life to find a joy, even after you live like myself in a violent environment where all you did was hurt people because hurt people hurt people. And once you, you heal yourself, you could surely heal another human being to reach that freedom you reached. 
and, and I can't hurt nobody no more. I'm a fun guy. I like to play now. I like to hug people. I like to take my worst enemy and let him see that he can't change me to become the savage I was. That's freedom. And that's what I would love everyone to enjoy. That is uh, very eloquently, beautifully said. One final question. First to Tommy, same question. Tommy, would I survive in prison? Absolutely. Absolutely, you would. I promise you, you would. You're an you're an intelligent cat. You'd you'd, you'd use your brains. You'd find uh, you'd find the right group of people, and you would absolutely survive. I don't think you'd enjoy it much, though. The uh, the, the the higher the intellect, the the more of a bummer that place is. Yeah. Tone, what do you think? Would I? Would I, I, I you'll be safe with me. I would have you in one of the Latin King poker tables, and I would have you dealing, and I would take care of you. You're a nice guy. You're cool, but you still have to give a little percentage. <laughs> Your mom will probably have to give a little bit of that money she saved up, but she'll get used to my voice. We've become good pals in there. <laughs> hey, Tom, yeah. when I see you in New York, I'm going to see you. I'm going to I'm going to give you a big hug, man. Pleasure meeting right, you. Brother. Yeah, pleasure meeting you, Tommy. Thanks for coming back. Love you, America. Love you, New York, my oh. hometown, and love you, Arizona. Tommy is love to love to Tallahassee. Love y'all. Till tomorrow. Tomorrow's show, 1230 p.m. Eastern Time. Till then. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.